what experienced and successful entrepreneurs and creative professionals have learned naturally and intuitively have held on to is this idea that instead of predicting what it is you're going to create, you should discover what it is that you're going to create. It's a discovery process. Welcome to the Flywheel Podcast. This show is for entrepreneurs and creative free thinkers. Each week, we share ideas to help you build a better business that's more focused on building a life rather than just making money. I'm Victor Jimenez. To stay up to date on the latest shows, visit theflywheelpodcast.com where you can get notes on all the shows and sign up to receive updates. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back the flywheel. Thank you so much for being here. So today we're talking about being creatively entrepreneurial. So those two words, it's almost redundant in in my book, but you're going to see what I mean. So my guest is Carl Nordgren, and he and I are going to talk about entrepreneurship and being creative. And Carl is a really interesting guy. He founded two cellular telephone companies early on, some marketing service firms, semiconductor company, a software venture, even a business incubator. He's a writer. He's a fisherman, just an all-around great guy. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And you can learn a little bit more about some of the things we talk about here in his latest book, which is Becoming a Creative Genius. Carl, welcome to the flywheel. This is so fantastic. One thing, uh, this time it's a little bit different because Carl is actually here in the flywheel studios, so to speak, which uh, aren't too fancy. It's our our closet in my office, but uh, it's really nice because for me, because almost all the podcasts I record I'm sitting in this room talking to someone via Skype. Uh, sometimes I go out and record, but this is uh, this is really nice to have somebody here face-to-face. We'll see, it's a little bit different dynamic. So I thought it would be really cool to dive into your what you've studied and worked on for the last mm, however many years, your entire life, I think, is this, this idea of creative entrepreneurship. And I mean, I think ultimately entrepreneurship is a creative thing but but what what is what do you mean by that okay wonderful well in in my experience as a teacher i've learned uh to hesitate actually to define uh words too tightly students tend to think that once they have heard the definition they understand the concept and they stop thinking for themselves so i'll i'll get into what i mean by creatively entrepreneurial or creative entrepreneurship by first quickly attending to sort of the motivation for why I found that language. And I found that language because what I learned is I began teaching courses in creativity uh, and in entrepreneurship, that people were using the word creative, I thought, in a much too restrictive fashion. People were saying that if I'm not artistic, I'm not creative. And my proposition was, well, that was just as wrong as wrong could be, that this idea that creativity is, the, is the, a special gift for a privileged few is a, is, is, a, is a common lie that we've all been participating in for way, 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 way too long. And so 
I've, I've found a similar dynamic on the entrepreneur side. If I haven't started a company, I'm not entrepreneurial. Well, oh my goodness, we need more creativity. We need more entrepreneurial thinking. And so I brought those two words together to give my students an opportunity to sort of reboot their thinking about that language. Uh, and it seems to work. And so some of the meaning that we attach to being creatively entrepreneurial is, are you being generative in your life? Uh, are you looking out into the world and seeing problems as opportunities? Are you developing the qualities about yourself that allows you to look at what you've been looking at for a while, but see something that there that you've never see. seen before so that you can make things better in the world? It captures the qualities of being adaptive, of being resilient, I've mentioned being generative, of being productive, um, and the, you know the quality to be able to f find an opportunity, be able to recruit folks and resources into the development of that opportunity, so that you can serve and, and create value, are the, are the are the energies that I would want people to attach to the use of the, the language being creatively entrepreneurial. Hmm. I mean, it's so true. Is you know you meet people, and if people say, oh. You start telling them you, you founded a company or you, you have a business or something. And how many times have we heard, it, you know, I'm just not entrepreneurial. Okay. And I think, is don't you think that's a, a cultural uh, a cultural thing, really? I mean, because ultimately we are, isn't that what you're saying? Is Ultimately, we are entrepreneurial, all of us. We are born this way. There's a, there's a really powerful piece of research. I, 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 one of my missions in life is to have everyone in the world know about this piece of research. It, it began in the 60s when NASA uh, needed to transform itself from the organization that couldn't even put a dumb satellite into orbit to the organization that was going to take humankind to the moon and bring us back home again to become that organization. They understood that they needed to recruit all of the most creative and entrepreneurial scientists and engineers that they could find. And so they developed an assessment tool to measure those creative and entrepreneurial qualities. And uh, when they decided to use that assessment tool in their recruitment process, they first applied it to the folks that currently worked for them. And they were delighted to see how accurately it calibrated with the folks that they understood to be the real change makers at NASA. They scored by far the highest. The folks that were good at the basic work, they scored the lowest. And so it really seemed to be a very accurate tool measuring creative and entrepreneurial thinking. Uh, and so they began to use it. Well, the researchers who developed the tool became interested in the fact that it seemed to be so very, very accurate. And so they recruited 1,500 five-year-old children and used the exact same tool with these 1,500 five-year-old children. And the results were that 98% of these children scored as high on that test as what NASA had labeled as their creative geniuses, 98%. <laughs> That's right. It, right. It, yeah. it is a common quality. It is basic human nature for us to have tireless curiosities, unlimited imaginations. Think of the four-year-olds that yeah. you know. These are true of them. A bias for action. They don't stop and look at something that challenges them. They get started working at it because without knowing that they know it, they understand that the, what they learn in their first efforts is going to make it more likely that they will finally succeed in their efforts. They know how to take something they've learned over here and something they've learned over there and relate them together and create new understandings. All these wonderful creative qualities are that which we are born with. Well, the researchers followed those 1,500 five-year-old children until they were 30. 
And of course, 4% of them now score on these tests as creative geniuses. The researchers concluded that public school taught us to not be creative. Mm -hmm. I think they're right, but I don't think they go far enough. I think all of the institutions in Western culture through those decades were determined to have less creative impulse and more specific uh, effort. And so we've been collectively teaching ourselves to be less creative all the time. It's absolutely vital for us right now to be able to envision the greatest futures that we can envision and then accomplish them is to do that with the most creative and entrepreneurial selves that we can develop. Yeah. Uh, You made me think of uh, the book, The The Little Prince. And uh, that's a perfect example of that where The Little Prince, uh, well, the little kid draws a, a, a couple of lines with a, a big bump and shows it to the adult. And the adult's like, what is that stupid thing? And, and the kid is like, well, isn't that scary? I'm like, go to bed. And what's, you know, it was a snake, a giant snake. And the big lump was the snake ate the elephant. So it was a big snake and it was really scary. And uh, so I don't think this is a new thing. No, that's right. But I wonder if it's partly the industrial age where when you have automation and you're trying to run assembly lines and you, well, you may not want that type of, creativity. We just need somebody to put those screws in that airplane wing or whatever it is we're, we're building. No, that's absolutely right. It, 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 the, the, the rational, logical, analytical worked so very, very well for us so, mm-hmm. for, so for very, very long, right? We built the greatest economic machine the world has ever known through the application of our rational, logical thinking. And that is still, of course, extraordinarily important. It's just no longer enough. We need to now be much more aware of the intuitive, the qualitative and that's, and the, that's creative, the creative and the entrepreneurial. That's right, and and this is what you're talking about is is much more much more human because it's really the way we are. It's not human to be a machine. We're not machines at putting mindless doing a mindless task over and over. We're we're creative, and you know, like you said, any I love that study. Go into any kindergarten or any group of kids, throw a bunch of Legos on the floor, and they're they're experimenting and breaking and failing and. You know, matching colors or stacking, whatever, all different things all, all simultaneously. Well, there's, a, there's, there's one more bit of evidence about, again, this natural, this, that this is a natural quality, that this creative and entrepreneurial quality and predisposition is true to human nature. Um, and that is that outside the developed nations in what we call the developing countries, nearly 75% of all employment is self-generated. Nearly seven, you know, nearly three out of four people earn their livelihood for themselves and their families by looking into their communities, seeing a problem, figuring out a way to solve that problem, and figuring out a way to solve that problem such that they, in fact, can feed their families. And so they don't do that with a class. In, you know, they haven't taken a class in entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's right. They don't have any capital. The capital that they've got, or any financial capital, the capital that they've got is this natural human creative capital, and that's what they're expressing. And so uh, creative confidence is so important. If one is determined to grow their creative and entrepreneurial qualities, to enter into that practice with a sense of confidence, really research shows, pays off. And so it's one of the reasons I really stress the the, the uh, 
the, all the evidence that shows that we're, we are born with this wonderful creative capacity. Okay, you said something there that I think is interesting, is uh, creative confidence. I'm going to latch on to that for a second. So, you know, for somebody that, uh, and I, I've known a lot of entrepreneurs, and I myself, I, you know, I sort of have, I do have this sort of confidence if I have an idea, oh, well, I can turn that into something. I may not choose to turn it into something, but, you know, it's almost uh, I, I joke like it's a disease because you see things and you're like, oh, that, that that would make a great business and you could do it like this. And and uh, h- how do you take someone that that doesn't have that confidence? They they have a corporate job right. or or maybe they've gone to school and they're, they're not in the in the job market yet. Right. And they they have an idea but they don't have the confidence in that idea right. and they talk to their family their friends or professors whoever and they're like oh that's a bad idea um you, you don't you have no idea what you're doing how are you going to turn that into anything well there, where there's two things there then one is how do they get the creative confidence and second how do they deal with that notion of of somebody trying to dis possess them of any confidence yeah. that they might have. I mean, it takes confidence just simply to start to share your idea with people, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, you're, you're, most of us feel that our most vulnerable when we say, oh, I've got a really good idea. I'm going to go share it with somebody because your DNA is very quickly invested in this idea that you're sharing for most of us. One thing I would do about folks who wonder if they have the confidence is to help them fully understand or begin to an understanding of the power of the increment. I mean, there is so much creative power in the increment. Um, here's an example, not right on point, but just to show generally the power of the increment. And that is that, you know, when I talk again about looking at what you've been looking at and seeing something that you've never seen before, it might just take an incrementally different view of that to see it radically different, right? If I've always been looking at it from 80 degrees and I just now start to look at it from 75 degrees, that might be the only change needed for me to see this opportunity in a way that I haven't before. Mm. If I were to say to an organization, boy, I can help the folks who work there become more creative, and that means they're going to come up with a transformative idea, no, I wouldn't say that. I would instead say, let's make the folks in your organization more creative so that each inch and every minute of your organization can incrementally have a little bit more creative and entrepreneurial quality invested in it. So for somebody who is saying, I don't have the confidence to move forward, I would say, well, the increment that there that is useful for you to contemplate is this idea of not ready, aim, fire to get started, but ready, fire, aim. Just get started. Take a first step. Take any first step. Take an easy first step. Take a safe first step or take a risky first step, but take a first step and see what happens. And something will happen. And what will happen will be something that you will uniquely know about, that you'll be creating new knowledge with that first step that nobody else has got because you are the one that took that first step. And with that new knowledge, you'll analyze it. You'll contemplate now, do I know a little bit more? You'll see that there was success in that first step. There is success in the first Mm -hmm. step. There's inevitably success in the first step because you are inevitably a little bit smarter about what you could be doing. And that's great progress. And now, hopefully, then the confidence begins to build with that incremental, uh, in- incremental work. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when somebody then tells you to stop um, is, is, is interesting to contemplate. I, um, 
I, I like the idea in a creative and an entrepreneurial environment that, that, that generosity is, is present, that people are being generous uh, with each other. And one of the places I strongly urge my students to express their generosity is in that environment, that when somebody comes to you, a friend comes to you with an idea, um, that you should give that most precious gift of all these days, which is your undivided attention. What a generous act that is to give your undivided attention. And to, when you listen generously, to listen for the best in the idea. Um, and that so many wonderful things happen when that occurs, when you listen to the best of an idea. Uh, when you, you're, you're, you begin to t inform yourself with the concepts, with the strategies with, of that idea, and now those are yours, right? You've now taken those in through your close, generous listening to your friend's idea. Um, you will help the friend make the best out of that idea with your responses and with your reactions. Um, so that moment where one is sharing a, a, a new idea with another is a vitally important moment in, in the way that if you're on the receiving end to address that is with the most generous attitude I think you can, you can muster. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Uh, it's uncomfortable. And I think we all get these sort of... Uh... I have my go-to first people that I go to and I, I see how crazy my idea is and then I kind of go up the chain a little bit before I go fully public and expose my, my insanity. Um, so it sounds like a, lot, a big part of being creative and using these ideas is something that we let go of is play. And it really, I'm always preaching this, is work can be play. And how, you know, what, what are your ideas and, and how we can treat it more as play? I want to tell a short little thing you made me think of. A, uh, so I have these giant Jenga blocks that I made. You know what Jenga blocks are. And basically, if you don't know what they are, they're, it's a, they're, they're blocks of wood. And you, they're all the same size. And you stack them. And you, you play the game either by yourself or with somebody else. And you pull a piece out. Uh, it's actually better with somebody else, but I do it by myself sometimes. <laughs> and you pull a piece out, and then the next person pulls a piece out, and whoever knocks it over by accident uh, loses. Well, you can. there's strategy. You can pull a piece out, making it, taking it off balance, and making the other person, uh, you know, you can kind of get them to do certain moves. So my point is, is that it's a really... It's very much like entrepreneurship because you could take a block out on this side and it changes something on the other side. And you can also change the outcome for someone else. So uh, anyway, play Jenga blocks. Uh, try that out. Or maybe I'll put a picture up of my uh, giant Jenga block set. <laughs> <laughs> well, play is, uh, is real important. I, one of the elements of, of the organization that I bring to this content that I teach, the, the, the organization is called The Generative Way. And there are four generative behaviors, being generous, one that we've mentioned, uh, being humble, uh, being enthusiastic in your pursuit of beauty. Those are the first three. And the fourth is to be playful. Uh, and there's a lot of justifications, a lot of value that comes from being playful, a lot of wins that you can create, creative wins and entrepreneurial wins that you can create for yourself by being playful. The first that comes to mind is... 
Uh, you know, Linus Pauling, the only individual to win two Nobel Prizes in two different categories individually, is a man, therefore, I think I should pay attention to when he mm-hmm. talks about stuff like this. And he says, you want to have a really great idea? Have lots of ideas. My corollary to that is that, and you want to have lots of ideas? Bring the playful attitude to this idea generation con- uh, activity that you're engaged in, right? I mean, if, if, if you're playing at it, if you're having fun doing it, you're not going to latch hold of the very first adequate solution that you come up with because it's work and you want to move on to the next. If it's play, man, you're going to keep working at it. And bringing that playful attitude means that you're going to bring a playful perspective that makes you what I want to call is a creative deviant, right? Not most people bring a creative, excuse me, a playful attitude towards creative work. And so if you bring that playful attitude, you're going to be seen and interacting with this opportunity differently than other people are. And there's going to be value in that. When you play, especially if you imagine open-ended play that children are engaged in, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're, where they're, making up the game as they are playing it. And that's maybe the most powerful thing I can think to say for those of you who are, you know, have got four and five-year-old kids in, in your household, please make sure that you're giving them an opportunity to be engaged in that sort of open-ended play where they are inventing the game as they are playing it. What an extraordinary, creatively entrepreneurial mm-hmm. effort that is. And so if you bring that as an adult to your creative and entrepreneurial work, right? The appreciation that you're making this up as you are building it. My partners in a couple of companies that we were working on would talk about starting a company as the process of learning how to fly the airplane as we are learning how to design it, right? Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's the quality that comes from open-ended play. So that's when you, when you bring that open-ended, playful attitude to your creative work, you are in a mindset of discovery. You're in a mindset of being prepared to be delighted by a surprise. And you're certainly in this mindset, again, of being prepared to do iteration after iteration, because why not? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun, and therefore more likely that the best iteration will begin to emerge from that playful approach. So just this leads into our conversation that we had just before we started recording, is I wonder how technology plays into that, because, you know, we can play a game on on our phones or, or something, some sort of game, uh, just for fun. And m- most of them, probably not all, because I don't, I'm not a gamer, but most of them, uh, they sort of, it's not open-ended, right. exactly. And how do you think that plays into, and, and honestly, like we're, have a generation now that, that are, I sound old digital native. They're digital natives. <laughs> Most people listening are, uh, but there was a time when both of us uh, remember when there were no gadgets like this, right. and so I wonder how that's going to play into this, and how we maybe could could use technology a little better. Right. Well, let me well let me first of all qualify for folks, and that is while I've had a hand in starting a number of technology based companies, I've started a couple of cellular telephone companies, for instance. I'm technology companies wouldn't get rich selling product to me. I'm always a third or fourth or fifth wave adopter of technology. I minimize for lots of reasons the use of it in my life. So folks can calibrate whatever I have to say about technology, understanding that that's where I come at from it. 
One thought that I have is that one of the companies that I, uh, one of one of the, my entrepreneurial endeavors was a, a marketing services company. An ad, we had an ad agency, a market research firm, public relations, a cluster of marketing services that we offered our clients. And this was in the pre-PC days. This was before. This, this, this was when art directors were sketching early versions of ideas and not designing them uh, uh, digitally. And what I found was that I always liked the early sketches a whole lot more than I liked the final work. And that fascinated me over the years, and I just wondered why that was. And then finally, as I began to study this creative work and not just be engaged in it, I came to understand what it, where it came from, and that was that the early sketches required more of me, mm-hmm. required that I inform the work with my imagination, with my thoughts about what it could look like. And I would always create it in my head in a way that, of course, I liked it. And it was never quite what I saw when I saw the final finished work was what mm-hmm. I had created in my head. And so the digital is so complete, right? It's so mediated. It, I often worry that it doesn't... Of course, there's great empowering in, through the use of technology. No, no, of course, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I don't think None of us questions that. that. Um, but the early use of it, I think, is there's a rigidity to it, a certainty to it, a, and there's also a distraction to it, right? It's all about distracting you, and we are so easily distracted. Um, and so I, 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 my three daughters, uh, who are all in their adulthood now, all went to Waldorf schools through eighth grade, and Waldorf said, please keep the kids away from television, please keep the kids away from digital technology in these early developmental years, um, put them in nature instead. And there's all kinds of research that suggests that that's the more appropriate place for a five-year-old to be, is, is under a tree looking at ants or you know, crawling around the roots than to be looking at visual, digital images of an ant on a, on a screen, there's no doubt. Um, so again, my, my thoughts about technology are um, real powerful tools, have got real powerful consequences, and so let's be ex- as aware of one as we are of the other. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a, a number, and, and I think it's something like, uh, you know, our attention span on the internet, whether we're looking at email or videos or anything, is about 20 seconds. Uh, and that's probably pretty good (laughs) and so so if you're trying to do you know sketch out a you have a business idea and you go to write it down on your phone chances are pretty good before you even spit it out you're you're going to be distracted uh and i i think uh there there's a lot to be said for disconnecting when you're working on an idea or or putting something together, and it's 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 good advice for your friends too, is uh, because it's very easy to obsess uh, early on when somebody has an idea is to obsess on the technology end of it, right. uh, and not necessarily the big picture of of what they're working on. Well, to build on that and, and take it outside of of just strictly digital, one of the great advantages I've had in my having taught in, in, in a college for so many years was that over those years, students would go out and, and complete an assignment by finding current, market, current research, academic research from either neuroscientists or behavioral scientists about how do we get into our maximum creative mind and then how do we stay there as long as we possibly can. 
And what is common of so many of those pieces of research is that you get into your creative mind by getting out of your status quo mind. Whatever is the mind that you walk around in day in and day out, whatever becomes your normal mind, even if you're a creative person, whatever becomes your normal processing, you got to jar yourself out of that to get a more, a more creative, a fresh creative perspective on things. So if, in fact, your life is complicated, dominated, much invested in your use of digital devices, and now it's time for you to be in a creative mode, that's just one of the many things that you can change to make it more likely that you get out of your status quo mind and into your more creative mind. Uh, yeah, and nature is a super powerful uh, thing for that. And if you if you look at great world religious leaders and stuff, you know, pretty much every one of them has a story of, uh, you know, what Jesus went into the desert for forty days. Uh, the Buddha went and sat under the the, the tree. And I think uh, getting completely out of your normal mode and into something right. that's uh, in nature, hope, hopefully, right. that's that's going to put you out. And uh, you know, that, that's I do that. I take the, like these little personal retreats uh, every couple of months. Right. And it can be physical like that, and should be physical like that. But there's one of the pieces of research that I'm, I found so fascinating was that you can get out of that mind by playing tricks with your mind, right? Mm -hmm. by, by playing games with your mind. And one that I saw framed in a piece of research was the researchers developed a, a, a practical problem, in a, a community problem, and asked students to come up with solutions for this community problem. When they described, and there were the University of Indiana is where the, was the research was taking place. And so when they, and the, and the people participating were, were the college students of the University of Indiana. When they described that problem, as existing in Indiana, they got a certain diversity, a certain creativity, a certain frequency of response. When they described that exact same problem existing across the continent in India, the number of responses, the creativity in the responses all increased. They all improved, right? So there was this other distance that could be created. They didn't necessarily have to move. They just had to play with the idea such that they saw it in a dramatically different context and seeing it in that dramatically different context so allowed them to find other solutions for that problem. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's, yeah, that's, that's really cool. cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. really, really cool. We touched on, in the very beginning when we started talking, you, you talked a little bit about action mm -hmm. and you know just taking some action. And if we take that a step further and taking action with some sort of purpose, right. Uh, some sort of intention. Right. Um, how how important is that that we, you know, I, I think generally what we do is we play. And if you watch a kid, they'll 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 play around with Legos and they'll throw them around and stuff. And then maybe then they'll start on in some direction to do some something in particular. So how how do we get to that and right. Well, there's two things there. Um, one, I want to get back to uh, the word that you use with in intention, because intentionality is is really important to all of this idea of becoming the most creatively entrepreneurial person that you can be. So let's maybe double back to that. In terms of uh, the action uh, question, <coughs> excuse me, um, 
my experience as an entrepreneur, my experience as a creative professional, all point to the f idea that when you are going to take on a creative project, we make a mistake if we think we should begin with the plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's a mistake that we make all throughout. Wait, wait not the not business the plan? plan? You, don't you don't start, start and write a business don't, plan? You don't start with the plan. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it's the corporate model, right? They have to start with the plan yeah. because a corporation of any size has got multiple innovation projects taking place, and it would be fiscally irresponsible for them to be taking place without them having first been, been budgeted. Mm -hmm. And you can't create a budget unless you first create the plan, right? So what happens in that model is that the moment at which I am most ignorant about what it is I could possibly do, we all are at the beginning of the project, mm -hmm. at that moment I have to predict what it is I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I have to predict what it is I'm going to do so that I can create the plan for what it is I'm just predicted so that I can get the budget. And that becomes really very, very restrictive. And of course, enlightened corporations are trying all the time to figure out ways to soften that, but that is still the fundamental. And so the rest of us learn that from, the, from corporations, right? That's the way right. schools do it. That's the way governments do it. That's the way we do it in our own lives. Yeah. We, start with, we start by making a prediction at the moment in time in which we are most ignorant. What experienced and successful entrepreneurs and creative professionals have learned naturally and intuitively have held on to is this idea that instead of predicting what it is you're going to create, you should discover what it is that you're going to create. It's a discovery process. Of course, you have a general idea that you're going to go to the right and not to the left in this discovery process. But when you are discovering, you're open for unexpected opportunity that you don't even see when you're trying to execute mm -hmm. the plan. And, and it's a momentum play, right? So these early opportunities that you might have stepped over otherwise mm -hmm. now are early opportunities where you get to succeed, you get to learn. As I was talking earlier about this bias for action, you're now engaged in a you know, with this bias for action. You're getting started. You're learning. The plan needed analysis and study. No, the best way to understand it is to get used to it, right? Is to get involved in what it is you're trying to accomplish. Of course, be analyzing always, but be analyzing the knowledge that you're creating that nobody else has got. Feed that analysis back into the next step and work your way towards a discovery. At some point, of course, in the discovery process, you, you must say to yourself, oh, now I understand specifically what it is we're going to build. But it's much more likely that you've got a much more accurate a picture of what it is that you should build because you've engaged all of the markets, the constituencies, the resources as you've been discovering what it is that you, you should be creating. Um, so that's the process that not only rings true to my experience, not only rings true as I study all the creative and entrepreneurial people about me, but about five years ago, some researchers out of um, University of Virginia's business school identified 350 what we would all agree were highly successful entrepreneurs, and that's exactly what they do. They just get started, right? They just yeah. get started and see what happens, and whatever happens next now is something that they'll build on for the next step that they'll uh, take. Hmm. I, you know, it makes me think of, uh, like right now, a big story that I kind of follow, I'm interested in, is uh, Elon Musk, oh the founder of Tesla, and, you know, He's not only the founder of Tesla, you know, it's also a solar company and also uh, 
the, this uh, space exploration company. And it seems like every day he, he just comes up. I, I think he's just playing around with ideas, <laughs> but he has the, the backing to actually uh, take an idea that seems like so incredibly far out, like he's going to colonize Mars with a million people and, 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 you know, and be able to start doing it within 10 years. I, I mean, that just seems outrageous. Right. And maybe it is. Right. But the point is that he is acting on these ideas uh, and he's taking some sort of action uh, towards it. Right. You know, they have this uh, this uh, vacuum tube uh, thing, which I don't, you know, th this transportation thing. They say it travels at 700 miles an hour in this tube. It's like the vacuum tubes at the, at the bank. And that seemed like a crazy idea, but they're actually building prototypes now. Right. Uh, so, you know, and he's, they're playing right. and they're, they're playing maybe on a different scale than maybe I would play, but it, they're, they're still playing. And I think that's, that's so important. Um, how, what do you, what do you think about, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will get started on something because I'm going to make a lot of money on this. Right. Or it's it's the thing, right. artificial intelligence or whatever it is right now. How important is it? Do you think that it's it's something that they're really really engaged and interested in? Absolutely, got to be, got to be, got to be. The 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 person that um, many identify as the godfather of entrepreneurship, certainly the study of entrepreneurship is the Austro-Hungarian, it goes back that far back, he actually grew up in the old Austro-Hungarian Empire, Joseph Schumpeter. Um, and in his, he, he coined the phrase entrepreneur. Uh, it was a French uh, word that he resurrected and, and applied to this process. He was an economist at a time when economists said all the change agents in, in an economy uh, come from without. There's a famine or there's a new gold find, and the economy will adjust to that and find its steady state again. Schumpeter said, no, 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 the change that occurs in the economy is, comes from within. It's when an individual sees a new opportunity, develops that new opportunity, and that's the force of an economy. So he's the first ec economist that made that case. Um, he identified, when he, when he talks about the incredible risk associated with entrepreneurial work, uh, the amazing in work, and, and oh, by the way, he defined entrepreneurship as an idea that you couldn't get to logically or rationally, that it required an intuitive leap. Mm. Um, that if you could get to it logically or rationally, somebody would have gotten there before you. Um, so I was fascinated by that because any big idea I've had, I've realized in retrospect, surprised me, came as an intuitive, came as an intuitive leap. So his motivations for entrepreneurship in the face of the incredible risk involved in entrepreneurship, his, he had three motivations. One was to prove what your abilities, I want to show the world what I can do. Some of his language was antiquated. His next one was to create your own empire. And of course, what we meant by that was to, was to you know, create a world in which your, your presence is known and you can lead that mm -hmm. world. And then the third was the joy of creating. Um, and I confess that in my entrepreneurial life, Gosh, 90% of the entrepreneurs I've been around, it's all about that third piece, the joy of creating. Yeah. Just, just, I've just sold a company. Boy, wasn't that great. I'm so happy with my success. Now what am I going to do next, man? Because this is fun. I enjoy doing this. Yeah. I enjoy the opportunity to not only express what I'm all about, 
But boy, to recruit some really great people and give them an opportunity to express what they're all about, I think that's the kind of thing that drives most of the entrepreneurs that I've been around. Sure, there's, there's been some who have um, been awfully eager to begin to divvy up the rewards before they were achieved, mm-hmm. which might suggest that they were motivated too much by that piece of it. But they've been di- the distinct minority. Uh, uh, folks that I know are excited about solving that problem. Mm-hmm. The recent, the most recent entrepreneurial uh, startup that I really participated in was a company called Eco ATM, a company that net, that recycles cellular phones. Well, it was founded by guys that created a lot of cellular phones, mm-hmm. and when they learned that there were so many used phones sitting in people's sh- drawers and that maybe they were going to throw them away and all that toxic material. And, and there was a great op- need for used cellular phones in third world. They came up with a, you know, with a wonderful entrepreneurial solution to get the phones out of people's drawers and into either safe recycling or into the hands of people in developing nations mm-hmm. that could put them to use. So they were passionate about solving yeah. that problem. And they, they had participated in their minds in the creation of the problem and they were so pleased to be able to come up with an idea that was then going to solve that problem. So that's the kind of motivation that I think I mostly see with successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, I think that's super important, especially um, that that your idea, at least personally, you need to connect it to something that you feel is going to elevate others in some way. And in that, in this case, these guys, uh, uh, they they. Feel, you know, and I think most people would agree what they're doing. It sounds like a pretty good idea and needed, and it's going to help uh, help humanity in some small way. One of the things I urge f- folks to, as they, as they contemplate or as they're engaged in developing their creative and entrepreneurial qualities, one of the little things I suggest that people might be intentional about is the language that they use, um, that what you call something will influence the way you subsequently think mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. something. So start calling yourself, for instance, start calling yourself a creatively entrepreneurial person because that will influence how you begin to see the world. Well, another place is that I'll have fun with students. I'll say, okay, now raise your hand if you like being taken advantage of. And maybe one out of the <laughs> 4,000 students I've had has raised his hand as a smart ass, but then later apologized when he found out where I was going with this. I said, okay. If nobody likes to be taken advantage of, why is that? Is it because you feel not just defeated, but you feel sort of spoiled, right? You feel abused when you've been taken advantage of. So then why, when a new opportunity comes along, do we automatically say we're going to take advantage of that opportunity? Mm. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to take the best for me and leave the rest for you, but we would certainly call that taking advantage of the situation. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to tip the table so that the numbers and the information flows my way and not yours, but we would certainly call that mm-hmm. taking advantage. What if instead we were to say, let's create advantage from that opportunity? Once again, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to nurture it and cultivate it and develop it and recruit the best people to help me do all of those things, but it points me mm-hmm. in that direction, right? So that's a quality that I think people want to bring to their startup mindset is more of a, not how do I take advantage of what's going on here, but how do I create advantage from what's going on here 
And I think in most cases, that's also, it's sort of pragmatic altruism, right? You'll feel better about yourself, but it also works a whole lot. Absolutely. 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 Uh, which, uh, which totally, totally leads, 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 leads perfectly, perfectly into, into this, this is, is you're, you're kind of talking about the idea of service. And then where I wanted to go was talk a little bit about leadership. Right. And, and I feel like service kind of ties directly into that. Beautiful. Beautifully so. so. And, and this is, is one, you know, earlier I quickly said, if you want to understand something new, don't study it, get used to it. This was the first place where I got used to something. My great uh, gift for the, 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 the world turned and gave me a great gift when the, the opportunity presented itself at the age of 15 for me to go up to Northwest Canada to a fly-in fishing camp where I was, for the first summer, an apprentice fishing guide and then where for the next three summers, I was a fishing guide. I was a fishing guide at a camp where Natalie Wood went and where John Wayne went and where Jimmy's cabin was James Hoffa's cabin and where the Getty Oil Brothers went. Now, not everybody was rich and famous, but those who weren't rich and famous were almost rich and mm -hmm. kind of famous. Um, and I'm a 16-year-old kid, and this is the late 60s. And hierarchy, adult and child hierarchy was much stronger then. Yeah. And I've got bank presidents in my boat. And I'm a 16-year-old kid. And what I learned by doing it was to serve the heck out of these guys, just to serve the heck out of them, was to do everything I possibly could. I took them coffee to their cabins. I collected their fishing gear for them and took it down to the boats I, did, I put their minnows on their hook. I did everything for these guys. And the better I served them, I began to see, the more authority they granted me. And the more authority they granted me, the more I was able to serve them till pretty soon I was, in fact, their guide, mm -hmm. their leader. They were invested in me so much at some point that their expectation was that I was going to lead them through three or four days of fishing adventure on the river, on the English River. And so without knowing that I was learning how to be a servant leader, what I learned was the incredible, incredible power. I already said it a moment ago, the wonderful altruistic, pragmatic altruism is that I feel really, really good serving somebody. It does my heart and soul so wonderfully well to be in a service relationship with these men. And it was the most effective way for me to lead them Absolutely. to where it was we needed to go. And that's as true in an organization. When I was growing my organizations, I wanted to have by far the best people that I could possibly find helping me make this happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I understood pretty quickly that if you get remarkable people and you can show them that what you're going to do is all you possibly can to help their remarkableness shine through in their work, who else, you know, not many people making that offer. And when you start making that offer, you become very attractive to the talent that you want to attract. Right. I mean, most not most. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of talk on leadership and a lot of people working on that. Um, and especially on the personal development side, you know, leadership uh, through personal development. Um, but there is that contrasting leadership style that we're all so accustomed to is somebody shouting at, you know, the drill sergeant shouting at, at you know, do more push-ups or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think for most people that just, just doesn't work. No, I think it's going away. It hasn't gone away anywhere near as rapidly as I thought it would. And again, I thought it would go away very rapidly because it's so demonstrably the best way to be doing it, right? Take care of people and they will care more mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. about what they're doing.
So let's sort of wrap this up. Um, uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on is how do we begin to, to practice some of this Good. stuff? Good. You know, how do, how do we put some of the things that we talked about into practice? Good. Well, I'll say two things about that. Then I'll talk, give sort of a philosophical one, and then I'll give a, something that people can do out there that I think can have profound effect on them. The philosophical one is the first principle of all my work is the power of intentionality. Because we are born creative genius, even if it has been underdeveloped, the power of intentionality to act, to, to act with intentionality, that from this point forward, I intend from this point forward to be the most creatively entrepreneurial version of myself that I can possibly be, is an immediate victory. If that's authentic declaration, if, if, that, if that character in your head that you have a constant mm -hmm. story taking place with as to who you are and why you do things in your life, if into that story you begin to integrate the idea that from this point forward, I'm going to be the most creatively entrepreneurial person I can possibly be, because it is naturally in us, there's a victory there. There's a victory there. It, you, begin mm -hmm. to, you begin to see the world differently. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And if you begin to see the world now as an increasingly creatively entrepreneurial person, you'll begin to see the world differently. It will begin to see you differently. So the power of intentionality uh, is is our first principle, and 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 it's so very 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 powerful. Um, I I've came up with a assignment for my students two or three years ago that they have considered to be. I, I, at first, I was suspicious of the profound impact that they claimed that this had on them. I was suspicious because students want to tell the professor what the professor wants to hear, right? right. So it's research based. The project I call a thirty day creative action program and it's as simple as it can be if for the next 30 days starting today every day you did one of two things you either did something you've never done before or you do something you do regularly habitually only you do it radically differently it's mm. the easiest example is of the second category i always brush my teeth right-handed the thing i'm going to do today is always brush my teeth left-handed the thing to do radically differently. I've never sat down and tried to figure out how to fix a really fine French meal. Tonight, I'm going to do that. Tonight, I'm going to do that. I love rock and roll from the 60s. I've never listened to uh, French love songs. Tonight, I'm going to listen to French love songs um, and do one of those sorts of activities once a day for the next 30 days. And research would suggest that you could have as much as a 60% improvement in your divergent creative thinking, your ability to see lots of solutions, lots of categories of solutions to the problem or idea that you're dealing with, and a smaller but still significant 20% or so improvement in your convergent creative thinking, your ability to take these different pieces and pull them together into the most appropriate solution. Those are the sorts of increases that researchers say happen. My students who have to write a paper for me at the end of those 30 days as to what happened inevitably say that they were no more than a week or so into this assignment and they just began to feel like they were a very different person walking in a very different world, seeing things in a very different fashion. So there's a very practical thing. And let me P.S. it really quickly yeah. with the easiest thing that they can possibly do. It's the piece that I was talking to you about right before we started. Um, stare at the color green for 30, for 30 seconds. seconds. 
stare at the color green okay, right. for 30 <laughs> seconds. The University of Munich came up with a research project. They d- designed four different creative exercises. They lay down the baseline score by bringing participants in and f- complete these four different creative exercises. They then bring in another group that has stared at the color red. Another group stares at the color blue. A third at the color yellow. And a fourth group stared at the color green. The first three groups that stared at those three colors, no change in their scores. The folks who stared at the color green for 30 seconds had a 25% increase in their creativity scores over those four very different creative exercises. So I went out and bought myself a green folder, stuck it in my briefcase, and two or times three times a day, a day yeah. man, I pull that <laughs> sucker out <laughs> and I stare at that thing for 30 seconds. And so there is a, that's probably the easiest thing that I can possibly suggest that somebody do to begin to grow their creative qualities. I think it works. Uh, I've, I've talked about that is uh, just going and, and staring at nature, at trees or plants or something. Yes. Uh, you know, I wonder if that's, I'm guessing that's probably, probably where that green comes from. I would bet you are right. right. So, Carl, so Carl, this has this been a wonderful conversation. conversation. Um, um, Tell us, Tell us uh, where, where, where people where can people find you and about your books and whatnot. Wonderful. Well, I am a novelist. Um, I've just, in the past week or so from the recording of this, um, in early October, published a book on creativity called Becoming a Creative Genius Again. Uh, again, the idea is you were born that way. This slim volume of 125 pages or so uh, will present the content that I've organized and learned and worked with and played with and proven to be so. Um, we'll, we'll provide that content to help you on that journey. Uh, my website is creativegenius.carlnordgren, N-O-R-D-G-R-E-N, dot com. Um, and you'll find information about the book, but also a whole lot of really good resources and comments on research and exercises, lots of really good free content there as well. Excellent. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I enjoyed it. I really did. Do you want more sales and better connections with your customers? Sign up for my new mini email course called Torque. Torque is that energy required to get, get things rolling. It's a primer for generating more sales and deeper connections with your customers in just seven days. It's super easy. You just sign up, email shows up in your inbox. It's gonna take you a couple of minutes every day. And I guarantee you at the end of seven days, you're gonna have a much clearer picture of your business and how you're interacting with your customers. You can sign up at theflywheelpodcast.com front slash torque, T-O-R-Q-U-E, or you can go to victorhumanis.co and front slash T-O-R-Q-U-E. There's also a link in the show notes at theflywheelpodcast.com. You'll see the show notes there. Thanks for listening.